0: Hey guys, Caffeinated Clinton here. Just to let you know that this wonderful episode 50 has a slight format change because I was just super eager to hop into this interview. I hope you enjoy. Also, before we begin, on a sadder note, uh, director Joel Schumacher recently passed away at the age of 80, and I kind of owe about half of this introduction to his work, The Lost Boys. So here's to you, Joel. Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the diet frozen yogurt bar, it went out of business last summer.
1: Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14.
0: Okay, folks, welcome to the Coffee and Comics podcast. I have a special guest on with me today, the one and only Shay Fontana. Shay, thank you very much for joining me. It's truly a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: (laughs) Not nearly as excited as I am. (laughs) Uh, Doc McStuffins and DC Superhero Girls both landed when my daughter was the target audience for these shows, so I quickly got acquainted with your work. Oh, nice. Uh, for those who are unaware, Miss Fontana is a writer for a variety of children's television series as well as some pretty incredible comics including DC Superhero Girls, Wonder Woman, and the recently released Batman Overdrive. Yes, that's me. <laughs> so Shay, did you always want to be a writer?
1: Yeah, I really, ever since I was a kid, I loved writing. And I was the kid in, um, you know, fourth grade coming in with these just gigantic 12-page stories when everybody else had a little tiny story about a cat and a dog meeting each other. I was like, it's a dark and scary night and like really getting into these long, you know, almost chapter-like stories at a really young age. And I really, um, you know... I wanted to be a writer. I loved reading, I loved writing. And when I was in high school, I started looking more towards journalism because like we're up in a very small town and certainly no one I knew was a TV writer or a comic book writer, but we did have a town newspaper and I saw that you could make a living as a writer by being a journalist. And so when I went to college, I started out pursuing a journalism degree And very quickly realized that journalism is not terribly fun at all if you're a really silly person. Um, And I would go home after my classes and, you know, start watching cartoons. And at some point I realized that, hey, cartoons have writers too. And maybe this is actually more in my personality. I'm definitely a silly, lighthearted person and journalism often involves, although not always, but often is pretty dark and looks at the bleaker side of humanity when I really like to look at the positives. So I switched over and started getting into animation and haven't looked back. So I started after I um, graduated from college, I started as an assistant at an anima- animation company and eventually worked my way up and got the right contacts to do some writing and I've been writing full-time for over a decade.
0: Wow. And uh, what were your first series?
1: The very first series that I wrote for was a series called Sushi Cat, which was on, I believe, CBS Saturday morning a long time ago. I think it was 2007 um, was when it initially premiered. And it was about five pieces of sushi who are hit with a radioactive beam and become alive and become sushi superheroes so it was a very very silly comedy show um it was a lot of fun to write and it was a you know a great entry into the world of animation and animation writing
0: oh that sounds adorable i'm gonna have to look that up later
1: (laughs) i'm not sure if you can even find it anywhere anymore i wonder if eventually it has to be on netflix or something i don't know who even represents it to sell it anywhere now
0: so were you always a fan of comics growing up or did that come later on?
1: I was not necessarily into comics. As I said, I grew up in a really small town and we didn't have a comic book store. So and this was, you know, the mid nineties when um, you know, comics weren't really as mainstream as they are now after all the, you know, the cinematic comic book hits that have come and, you know, comics at that point was really a very niche kind of Um, pastime, but I did get into comics from the TV side, kind of how I got into comics writing as well, Um, as I was watching a lot of like Batman the Animated Series and Lois and Clark and really getting familiar with these comic book worlds through their TV storytelling. And then later on in high school and college is when I actually started reading comic books.
0: Ah, okay. And is it difficult to transition from writing TV shows into writing comics, or is it a similar script format?
1: The script formats are very different, but I think uh, the way your brain works for both the TV storytelling and uh, comic storytelling is really similar. Both are such visually driven medium that you really have to think about how you're expressing the story through action rather than... You know, there is some internal monologues that you get in comics, but it really is about the visual of what you're seeing um, while the character is doing whatever they're doing and how that how what they're thinking and what they're feeling actually is expressed through their action. Whereas in prose writing, you can really get into like the internal monologues and what's going on in the descriptions of the world. Uh, you really have to think just the immediate visual with both comics and animation writing.
0: Uh, okay, looking at DC Superhero Girls, um, a little more focused in on that. Uh, was that something you pitched to DC, or was it a concept before you were brought on?
1: It was actually it was um, a very interesting project to get into. Um, I was contacted. DC Superhero Girls was a co-production between DC, Mattel, and Warner Brothers, and I was contacted by someone at Mattel in like a very secretive manner. Uh, They wanted me to come in for a meeting, but they wouldn't tell me who was involved or what what they were going to be talking about. Um, But I saw on the meeting invite that there was a couple executives from DC also listed on the invite. So I thought maybe it was going to be a Wonder Woman thing. Um, I know they had been talking about different Wonder Woman animation iterations before and with the success of like Teen Titans. That was something that had been in sort of the the air. Um, But then when I got to the actual meeting, they said, hey, we want to get together all the girls of the DC Universe. What would you do with it? So they did know as I came in that they wanted to do something that really highlighted the girl side of the DC Universe. um, That was especially built around Wonder Woman, Supergirl and Batgirl, of course, as the Trinity um, but would have all the other characters involved. Um, and they also knew that it would be a high school setting, much like the Monster High and Ever After High series that they had done. Um, so it, that was kind of the basic things that they had told me and asked me to go off and write a pitch for it. And I did. And and DC Superhero Girls is where we got to after that. So it was really fun to just be put into that sandbox and have the opportunity to really put my stamp on it and do the things that I wanted to do with the characters and have just this, really, it was all the all the executives from DC and uh, Mattel were so supportive and really let me, you know, have the creative freedom to play with the characters and bring what I wanted to those characters. So it was just such a great storytelling experience for me.
0: Well, I'm glad you got to do it. You're Versions of these characters are some of my favorites outside of the main universe. Uh, Coach Wildcat, Vice Principal Grodd, those stand out even to this day. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, thank you. Vice Principal Grodd uh, was a happy accident in some ways because my original pitch had been to make Lobo the vice uh, principal, oh and that the, looks like I think that was one. One of the very few things where they're like, no. (laughs) Um, Because I think there was, there was some pretty violent Lobo things happening in other parts of the universe. um, And they just didn't quite see that as the vice principal character. And then we went back and came back to them with vice principal Grodd, which I think Grodd in the bow tie is one of my favorite visuals of all time. Um, but then we did eventually actually get to bring Lolo back as one of the students at a different school.
0: And of course, your versions of Big Barda and Supergirl were just so touching and relatable. Gosh, I mean, if if you could have just done a spinoff focused on Barda, I would have bought every bit of it. <laughs> I can honestly say
1: <laughs> she was she was great fun to write. And Misty Lee did the voice of Big Barda, and she just brought so much to the performance, and was really fun to work with.
0: So. Uh did you have a lot of these ideas for the characters fleshed out at the start or did they kind of evolve over the course of the story?
1: Um, I think we, I mean, we had a, such a good base to work with, with just the the DNA of the characters within the regular universe. And we always, one of the great things about DC characters is they are really malleable to whatever sort of story that you're trying to tell. So creators at DC do have a lot of freedom to, while they, you know, with all these other universes, we are trying to keep the character DNA true to who the character is. But um, we do get to really have have those characters in situations and stories that allow a lot of creative freedom. Um, So there was, you know, just so much within all of those characters from who they are as characters, what their backstories are, And although we did have to play with the backstories a bit to make them work in this high school universe, um, there's just such a richness to a lot of the DC characters, especially someone like Big Barda, who has this just incredible sort of internal conflict that she's always dealing with, which is, you know, so fun to play with in stories, um, as well as Supergirl with this kind of tragic backstory that she has that she's trying to, um, you know, not to process while being a, a teenager and, you know, balance the, the harsh reality that she knows with this new world that she's trying to fit into. So it's, it was really fun. And I did have some of that going into it, but it was really fun to do a lot more research as I started in on, on the project and DC, you know, gave me access to their library and I could, You know, go into a lot of the back issues that I hadn't read before and start to get to know some of the characters. Um, Really one of my favorites that I didn't know at all going into the project was Bumblebee. Um, And she had been a member of the Teen Titans way back in, I'm going to say 1978. But don't quote me on that one. (laughs) But for a long time, she had been one of the members of the Teen Titans and had been one of these um, really interesting characters that had kind of faded away in a lot of ways. And then to get into her history and be able to, you know, expand the characters in the way that we did in DC Superhero Girls and really bring out this just fun, optimistic side of Bumblebee and see how she interacted with the other characters was one of the the biggest pleasures of working on DC Superhero Girls.
0: And did you have any stories that you wanted to tell before the rebranding came around?
1: You know, I did, I think it was about 90 short and three movies and a TV special and eight graphic novels of DC Superhero Girls. I think when I counted it up, it was about 2,500 pages of uh, DC Superhero Girls content. So I did feel like I really got to say what I wanted to say with those characters. And they had invited me back if I wanted to write some of the New graphic novels, and I just felt like I, my version of the characters that I loved was complete, and I didn't know if there was anything else that I needed to say in that universe. So, yeah, I was really happy with what I had done, and, and I mean, could there be more stories? Of course, there's always more stories, and we have so many characters, and you know, more of the minor characters that we could have really got into. Uh, but I was really very satisfied with where we ended up in the series.
0: Oh, that makes me happy to hear. Okay, so you wrote a nonfiction book recently called DC Women of Action. Is this uh, yes. a bit of an index of female characters, or is it a little something more?
1: So DC Women of Action is really, it's about 55 profiles of both the female characters of the DC universe as some of the creators and people who worked behind the scenes. Um, so, while having a lot of the history of the characters, as well as their characteristics, I did get to interview a lot of the creators who had worked on those uh, characters as well, which was just so fun to be able to talk to people like Nicholas Scott and Gail Simone about these characters that they have really, you know, shaped in so many ways and shaped how people see those characters now. Um, and get to see a lot of the history of the characters and the people behind the characters that... I didn't know about before writing the book. So um, one of my favorites was learning a lot about Ramona Fraiden, who was one of the Aquaman artists. Um, and 1956 is when she started on Aquaman. Um, so it was really incredible to see how a woman in her position you know, she was the only woman working for DC at the time kind of thing, and she really made her mark on the DC universe. So it was really such a fun experience to write that book, and I believe um, it is still available where wherever books are sold on that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, looking at something slightly more recent, uh, I believe in February is when Batman Overdrive was... For those unaware, it's a different approach, focusing on a teenage Bruce Wayne restoring his father's old car with the help of some friends that he meets along the way. So where exactly did you come up with the idea for this?
1: So this was really, um, when I started thinking about writing Batman, uh, my mind just immediately went to the Batmobile and what the history of the Batmobile was. Um, I don't think that's really been explored in any other of the sort of origin stories of Batman before. So I really wanted to get into how this car, especially when you are looking at Bruce Wayne as a person who is a teenager and cars are so important to kids as they're, you know, getting their driver's license. It's such this this amazing rite of passage that we go through when we're teenagers. And how would that car, um, you know, It's obviously going to be so impactful on his life as Batman. But how does that car relate to him as Bruce Wayne as well? So I really uh, it was fun to get into this idea that this car is this old beat up junker that used to belong to Bruce's dad. And then Bruce starts to get into fixing it up as a way to connect and bond with his dad, who, you know, of course, as in all Batman stories has died a few years ago. And now Bruce is looking for a way to define himself in the shadow of his dad, but then really comes to realize that he doesn't just have this legacy of the Waynes that he needs to fulfill. He has a new destiny that he can shape for himself.
0: Okay, so for anybody who might still be dubious after that, is there anything else you can tell them that might sell them on this?
1: You know, it's really, I wanted to make kind of an old school Batman book where it is, there is some detective angle to it and exploring Bruce as a detective, especially as a teenager. And then really just having fun with cars and the car chases that we have in the book. Um, And then while all that's happening, you see a very modern portrayal of Bruce Wayne. One of the things that as I was getting into this, I think I started writing in 2017 or so, and thinking that the Bruce Wayne of today, if he was 16 then, he would have been born after 9-11. He would have grown up in a world where he could Google anything that he wanted, which would be amazing, because then you could just Google who is the Joker and probably get his Facebook page and see all about his next plan. Um, So that's really a twist on Batman that I don't think has been explored a lot in a lot of the other retellings in the movies. You see a Batman who has grown up and who is a little bit more old fashioned, but to think of him as a modern kid in this modern world and how that would change how he goes about being not only Batman, but how he is as Bruce Wayne and what are the different things that affect him now, if he is a kid in 2020, instead of, you know, I think of like Michael Keaton as Batman or like those those other portrayals or Adam West, like how would how would they change as Batman if they could just pull out a phone and Google anything they wanted? It would like totally, you know, change everything in those stories. So I wanted to really make this uh modern and relatable for today's
0: kids. All right, well personally I found the book so are there any plans Thank for you. a sequel or an animated version, perhaps? No plans at this
1: point. I would love to write a sequel, and I think um, where we ended as with Bruce kind of taking on the mantle of Batman would be a fun place to go on from there. But no, there's nothing in the works at this
0: point. Okay, so are there any upcoming projects that you're working on right now you can let us in on at all?
1: Yeah, um, I have been working on a Polly Pocket animated series, which you can currently find this first season of on Netflix. And there's a, another season coming up that will be out, I believe, at the end of this year. And then there's a bunch of stuff I've been working on that I can't tell you about yet. So that's, that's the nature of this business uh, with both animation and publishing. You know, you work about two years out from when anybody will actually see it. So I always have a lot of secrets.
0: Well, suffice it to say that we're looking forward to more projects coming from you. Were there, um, any dream thank pro- you. Yeah. Are there any dream projects that you haven't been able to get anywhere close to yet that you'd like to work on someday?
1: I mean, honestly, I have just had such a blast with, you know, really living all my dreams. Batman was probably... Really, as a person who grew up watching Batman, the animated series, he was my first comic love. And to be able to really get in there and write a Batman story was such an incredible dream come true. And then with DC Superhero Girls, I mean, I wrote just about every character in the DC universe. So, uh, yeah, I've really been very lucky to be able to see a lot of my dream characters and dream projects uh, come to fruition. So I don't have anything specific that I like. feel like I'm missing out on. Um, but, yeah, I've really, I really, I have gotten to live the dream several times over, so I feel incredibly lucky.
0: Okay, well, that takes care of the serious questions. But we've got just a few <laughs> more, a little more relaxed questions that,
1: uh, All right. you
0: know, these have come to be known as the Coffee and Comics Quiz don't worry it's not too painful okay so while this is the coffee and comics podcast we do support beverage of choice what would you consider your beverage of choice oh coffee <laughs> <laughs> see i knew there was a reason i definitely I like to... need my
1: <laughs> i need my morning coffee <laughs> that would that would be my most important beverage of choice <laughs>
0: Okay. Uh, would you consider yourself more of Team Betty or Team Veronica?
1: Ooh, probably Betty. She just, she's a bit more relatable, I think.
0: Alrighty, moving along. Would you prefer the 1980s New Teen Titans or 1980s X-Men?
1: That's what is going to get me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I'm more acquainted with the, uh, the Teen Titans just because of all my work at DC. So I'm going to go Teen Titans.
0: Okay. No wrong answers here, though. <laughs> so uh, what character or series do you think is most in need of a live action or animated adaptation?
1: Interesting question. Um, you know, I've, I can't think of, I mean, with all of the streaming networks, and all of the superhero content that we've gotten in the last couple of years. I think we've done a lot of it already. Um, You know, it would probably be interesting since you just brought up X-Men. I think an X-Men series would be pretty cool.
0: Uh, Who would you consider the villain most in need of decaf?
1: (laughs) I mean, Darkseid, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) All righty. And who do you consider the best super pet? Ace.
1: Ace the Bat-Hound. Uh-huh. So. Although, I do have a Kanga uh, plush uh, by my desk. So I am—I like a good Kanga, but uh, as a dog person, I, I have to go with Ace.
0: Oh, but nobody said the Kangas yet, so you could actually get <laughs> points for that one. Ooh. Okay, now here...
1: I mean, they're pretty fun, and they're not actually kangaroos. They're just Kangas, mm-hmm. so... <laughs>
0: Okay, now here's the real tough one. Can Mighty Mouse beat up the George Reeves Superman?
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I think so. I think he's the mightiest mouse, so <laughs> I think he probably can
0: righty, and would you prefer a lifetime of cheap comics, but Dr. Doom has a grudge against you, or comics are highly expensive, but Dr. Doom owes you a favor. <laughs>
1: I would go with the former because uh, not to make myself a martyr here, but if comics were cheap for me, they would be cheap for everyone, right? So everybody would get to read.
0: (laughs) Oh, how benevolent. (laughs) All right, Shay. Well, I think that about wraps up all my questions. I do appreciate you joining me on here. Uh, For everybody who's interested in following you on social medias, where can they find you?
1: I'm at Shea Fontana, which is S-H-E-A, a little confusing there, so it looks like Shia, um, if you aren't speaking Gaelic. And then the last name is Fontana, i um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and I am the only Shay Fontana, so I'm pretty easy to find.
0: <laughs> and if, if they can't find you by that, I'm sure they can find you by the hair colors.
1: Exactly. I am currently, because of, uh, you know, everything going on in the world right now, I don't have any fun colors in my hair, so I feel very normal. I think
0: that's the biggest shocker of all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to keep up. It does take a, a lot of effort to make those purples and pinks work.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, once again, I do appreciate you joining me. Thank you so much, Shay.
1: It's been a pleasure to talk to you. See? You.
0: The new show from the Fire & Water Podcast Network, celebrating the classic Saturday morning cartoons. Available on fireandwaterpodcast.com, iTunes, and Stitcher. He has been challenged to read all the comics he has collected. This podcast will summarize, review, and reminisce about a single comic book issue and the time period somewhat chronologically by release date. He keeps a stack of comics near his bedside for when the time is right. Who is this interesting comic fan and what is the podcast? Hello, my name is Pat. I don't normally do podcasts about the comic books I read, but when I do, I podcast about them on The Longbox Crusade. Listen to it on iTunes, Stitcher, or on thelongboxcrusade.com. And check out the Facebook page. Read them all, my friends. Hey, everybody. Thanks for sticking with me. I appreciate it so much. Once again, thank you so much to Shay Fontana for that interview. It was wonderful to have her on here, wasn't it, folks? What a way to celebrate 50 episodes, am I right? And speaking of episodes, I've got some feedback on previous episodes. That's right. Likes, favorites, shares, all that fun stuff first, though. So, as a reminder, last episode was the second part of my coverage for JL May 2020, which was covering the countdown to the countdown to Infinite Crisis. And specifically, I looked at the Ranthanagar War. So, I got likes and retweets from... The Hammer Strikes, Pop Culture Affidavit, Billy Delicious, Last Son of Bourbon, Doug Zavisha, Martin Gray, Alan Middleton, Relatively Geeky, Paul Hicks, Liz Ann Oswald, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, Laurel at Mountain Flower One, Chris Stados, Mariano Cholakin Ed Moore, Chris Lydon, Ange, Sean Ross, Roger Miller. Comics in the Golden Age. Kumuth Elaine The Doctor DC Podcast. There's Nobody Here Named Josh. Are you sure about that, Josh? Justin Steiner. Longbox Crusade. Green Lantern HG. Scott X. Warlock Thanos Podcast. Jared Albrecht. Bill Beer. Fan Holes Podcast. History of Comics on Film. Pete Illustrated. Delvin Williams. Doctor Pop Culture. BGSU, Kyle Benning, and Justice Trek 2020. But don't don't go away yet, folks. There's more, because over on Facebook, we got likes and shares from Ivan Chudley, Gene Hendricks, Randall Andrews, Bill Beer, Tom Panarese, Mike Garvey, Jonathan Schaefer-Hames, Al Sedano, Hal Jordan, Pat Sampson, Max Trevor, Derek William Crab, and the Fan Holes Podcast. But that's not it, folks. We got feedback directly on the episode over on Twitter. Too dangerous for a girl, aka Martin Gray, says, I think I gave up on that one. How many times are they going to fight? Well, that's true, because, I mean, if you look at pre crisis, post crisis, uh, leading up to infinite crisis, yeah, pretty much uh, Rand and Thanagar were just a little bit into it. Our good friend Sean Ross from Secret Wars and Beyond podcast. Says, looking forward to this. I remember loving the art, but I don't recall much about the story. Well, I hope we kind of solved that one for you, Sean. Unpacking the Power of Power Pack says, thanks for keeping me entertained. I hope that's a good kind of entertain there. Our good pal Green Lantern HG said, great episode. Short and sweet. Keep em coming. Well, you keep listening. I keep churning them out. Oh, everybody loves the Drake. That's right. Everybody everybody Loves the Drake said, Another solid episode, my friend. Well, I do appreciate that. <clears throat> Longtime friend Kyle Benning says, Really enjoyed this series and your episode. Well, it's great to hear from you again, Kyle. Sean Ross chimed in again saying, Great episode. I need to give this mini a second chance. See, I guess we did kind of spark a little interest there. Longtime friend Laurel has uh, written us a bit of a... Bit of a longer feedback, so thanks for not just leaving a tweet, Laurel. Laurel says, tried leaving this on your website, but in case it didn't get to you, here's the email. Which, unfortunately, I, it Google ate it. Darn you, Google. Laurel says, enjoyed your JLMA coverage of Outsiders and Ranthanagar War. I think the significance of the Ranthanagar War was all in the one shot that followed. Which is, unfortunately, something I didn't cover. Seems like something more should have been in the actual six issues of the miniseries, but I suppose this is the way DC got to sell another oversized issue. I found the mini somewhat confusing. Lots of players to keep track of, and some were completely new to me, like Captain Comet. I knew next to nothing of Tygor, and still don't, really. But I just told myself to go with it, which worked out well enough. The art was outstanding, and Kyle was in it, which makes me happy. He's one of my favorite characters. Thanks for the great episode. Well, thanks for the great feedback, Laurel. And Kyle Rayner is one of my favorite characters, too. Captain Comet, I did know a fair amount about. But I'm still kind of with you on Tygor. I know he's one of the Omega Men. And we got feedback on a previous episode. And I do mean previous. Daniel Martinez writes in on the uh, Halloween episode I did with our good friend Herman Lowe. He says, Nice podcast. Yeah, Fiction House was pretty tame in terms of horror. There were definitely other titles that showcased more gruesome horror through, you know, such as Chamber of Chills magazine by Harvey, Dark Mysteries by Master, and Mysterious Adventures by Story. Huh. Those all sound interesting to check out. Thanks for the recommendations, Daniel. And that appears to be it. That is... Wrapping up episode 50. Thank you, everybody, for helping me make 50 episodes. Here's to at least 50 more. (laughs) That's right. you got to suffer with me through at least 50 more. So at the risk of making this an epic-length episode, don't worry, that one's coming. I'm going to wrap up here and say you can always reach us on the website, which is coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com or email me at coffeeandcomicspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. So until next time, this is the place where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing Coffee and Comics at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com or on Twitter at Coffee Comics